Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we begin reading from the second book of Torah, Shemot, or Exodus, and it introduces us to Moses. How many people know a little bit about Moses already? Everybody. Everybody either knows a little or a lot about Moses, one of the most famous biblical persons. Like Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh, Moses presents publicly as an Egyptian. And it's good to get that in your mind. When Moses is an adult, he is, for all intents, an Egyptian adult. He, like Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, though, his heart is tied closely to the children of Israel. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, raised by the daughter of Pharaoh, and uh, educated in Egyptian ways. We would expect that he would probably have looked more like Joseph did, classical Egyptian look. I said recently that um, Joseph wore makeup and eyeliner. That shocked some people. Um, but that was typical for Egyptians. I know some modern Egyptians. They're not that into it anymore. Outwardly, Moses is an Egyptian, but inwardly, he's an Israelite. And the book of Hebrews puts it this way. It's in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer oppression with God's people rather than to experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin. He valued disgrace and dishonor for Messiah above the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to his reward. So the writers of Hebrews says that Moses made a choice to connect with his people, not with the culture that he was raised in and that had produced his outward cultural identity. Though he was raised in Pharaoh's house, um, he comes to the defense of an Israelite. This is one of the more famous biblical stories who's being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. And as Moses intervenes, it appears he goes maybe too far. And I was thinking about how to describe it. The taskmaster dies, but that's kind of a passive way of expressing it. Moses kills him. That's a more active way. And other Israelites who see it don't view Moses as a rescuer or as a friend. They're fearful, and one even expresses concern, are you going to kill us next? So Moses, with fear and uncertainty, flees, and he leaves Egypt, and he finds a wife and makes a new home in Midian, and he is far removed until... This moment when he's tending sheep and he is an older man. How old do you think at this point? He's, a, he's 80 years old. He's, yeah. And there the Lord 
presents to him, I'm using nice modern terms, presents to him as a burning bush, which is provocative because there's no antecedent for that. There's no earlier time when God just comes as a burning bush, especially not in the way that he does at this time. He is in this fire that catches Moses' attention and his curiosity, not thinking that something spiritual is going on, but rather just something odd is going on. Moses approaches to see this bush that's, that's ablaze, but it's not burning up. And as he approaches, he discovers it's not a normal bush on fire. It's not even an extraordinary bush on fire. The fire is a manifestation of the presence of God, and God starts speaking to Moses from the fire. So it's a fascinating moment, and it actually prepares us uh, as we examine how God presents himself to Moses. It prepares us... um, and gives us a framework for the reading of the entire book, and especially for developing an understanding of God, specifically the God who reveals himself to Moses, who is nothing like the gods of the Egyptians, and nothing like the gods of the philosophers, and nothing like the gods of the Greeks, or the Romans, or the Norse, or... He's just nothing like these gods. And so I want to encourage you to read the book with fresh open eyes this year as if you're reading it for the first time. And and think about this. Moses is experiencing everything we read about with fresh open eyes himself. He's not jaded. He hasn't read this book, you know, a hundred times or a dozen times or every year. This is his real-life, real-time experience. And so everything's a surprise to him. He doesn't know how the burning bush thing is going to settle out. He's experiencing it with wonder and uncertainty and questions and more. And I made a list of some of the questions that he's expressing. And these are in my words, not in his words. But if you read the, the Torah portion this week, you'll see that Moses has lots of questions. One question is, what's going on? Another variant of this is, what is this? And then, when he hears a voice, who is this? And then it becomes more personal. Who are you? What's your name? And then another question, how can I be sure you are who you say you are? (laughs) And then, after he gets some instruction, What am I supposed to say? What do I tell other people? And how do I handle other people when they don't believe me and what I say about you? These are all the questions. In a very short passage, they're all the questions that surface with Moses. And I think this is a great way of teaching us how to relate to God. It's great to have a lot of questions. It's great to ask your questions. It's great to express your questions. Now, people can ask questions really two different ways. 
you can ask a question like, not like you're someone who's pursuing an answer, but you're someone who believes there is no answer. So no matter what you're told, you will disagree or be defiant. When our kids were young, sometimes they would ask questions that way. The most famous question, very short, one word, why? How many parents have heard that question? Why? Once I said to our son, I'll answer that under one condition. And the condition is that you're not trying to say no. Because I'm not going to tell you why if you're just going to say no. And we had to negotiate that because I think he was moving in that direction. But he softened up, so I told him why. In the same way, we discover that Moses has to work on his attitude about his questions. Most of the time he's asking good questions, but you'll notice if you read the Torah portion this week that there's a certain moment where the Lord gets exasperated with him in the way that every parent can identify with. Like, too many questions already. I've answered enough questions. Because now it sounds like you're just saying, you know, I don't want to do this. When Moses expressed reluctance, do you remember that? Like, well, you want me to do this, but I'm not good at it. You want me to do this, but I don't really like to do it. That's when the Lord gets ticked off. Is that a fair way of describing it? He gets angry. It's like, stop already. So Moses doesn't run from the questions. He asks them. He specifically asks them to God. That's the right thing to do. In fact, if you do that, you'll, you'll find you'll grow spiritually. If you ask real spiritual questions to God, you will grow. Now, here's the other thing. God doesn't run from Moses' question. His questions, he answers them, though sometimes his answers were challenging. Now, I want to look at five ways that God revealed himself. Simple thoughts, but I think important thoughts. The first one is God reveals himself as fire, but not as the normal incendiary force. God appears as fire in the burning bush, and if we pay attention to this, we'll see this is the introduction of something important because later the Lord will appear as a pillar of fire leading Israel. At Sinai later, he will appear in the fire. At Shavuot, centuries later in Jerusalem, he'll reveal himself through tongues of fire when he pours the Holy Spirit out upon Yeshua's disciples. But interestingly, when Elijah's looking for the Lord, at a similar place, maybe the same place, maybe Mount Horeb, maybe the exact same place, and there is thunder and shaking, and Elijah's hoping for God to appear in this way to him. God's not in the thunder or the shaking. He speaks in a still, small voice, which teaches us this. And, and guys, this is important for us, because guys are notorious for liking to play with fire. How many of us can confirm that? Playing with fire, yeah. How many got in trouble playing with fire? 
How many have souvenirs on your body? I do, from fire. I have certain scars that are still visible. Yeah, from playing with fire. (laughs) I like to examine them every so often to remind myself. But here's the thing. God may appear in fire, and that may arouse your curiosity, but you can't dominate God as if he is just fire that can be brought under your control. Second way that the Lord reveals himself is as a personal presence. He appears as a person even though he's appearing as fire. And I think this is really important. He, um, he's not to be thought of only as a burning fire. He's not just a force of nature. He comes as a personal presence. He comes as a person. He is there with Moses in much the same way that Moses is there with him. And he comes personally, and they are having personal interaction together, dialogue, personal communication. Third way that God reveals himself is as a voice. I particularly like this. When the Lord revealed himself to me, it was in the same way. Eric made reference to this. When you were leading worship, you were talking about the Lord calling us by name, an experience that I had that really changed me. God speaks. Moses listens. And then we find out that God also listens. So God both speaks and listens. And God speaks in a way that Moses can understand. This is really important. He speaks to Moses in a way that Moses can actually write down the words of what God said. So Moses hears the word of the Lord, and God speaks through words. This is profoundly important. It it may be simple um, to describe, but it's profoundly important that God is not just a spiritual force who is out there outside of our humanity, but he is able to communicate to our humanity. Now here's a fourth way that God reveals himself as wisdom and ultimate authority. These go together. God tells Moses who he is. God tells Moses what needs to happen in the future, what Moses needs to do. He gives instructions to Moses, do this and do this and do it this way assuming that he has the authority to do it. Now here's the fascinating idea that's embedded in all this. God actually believes he is the Lord. Now in English, do you know what Lord means? It means master. Or you could say it means the boss. It's one thing to agree to do what you want to do when God tells you. It's another thing to agree to do what you don't want to do. And this is what we're discovering with Moses, that he is not just projecting a spiritual experience onto an, from an inward psychological process. He's actually having his world invaded by God. So it's not internal, it's external. 
It touches him internally, but it doesn't originate from an internal process. Quite the contrary. In fact, the process that uh, engages Moses is curiosity. Just that. He's not spiritually seeking anything at the moment. He's curious. If you saw a bush burning but not burning up, burning in a certain way, you might approach. When I was a kid, we used to like to listen for fire trucks sometimes. To tell the truth, sometimes we'd go where the fire trucks were going to see what was burning because we were curious. I think I'm probably the only one in this room who ever did that. (laughs) But God appears as wisdom and ultimate authority, and he speaks wisdom, and he speaks with ultimate authority. He speaks in a way that Moses understands that God has ultimate authority, and at the same time, God makes it clear that Moses may find out that Pharaoh refuses to do the will of the Lord. In fact, he's prepared. Pharaoh won't do what you tell him to do, that I tell you to tell him. He won't do it until he's forced to do it. He will refuse to do what God says. I don't know about you, I prefer to go to people who are more open and more willing to receive. Uh, Some personality types only want to talk to people that will be agreeable like that. Some others, especially those with sales-oriented personalities, you may think, oh, this is a great challenge if someone disagrees. I love objections. It's an opportunity to move closer to to the sale. However, I don't think Moses has that attitude. So the Lord is saying to Moses, go to the elders of Israel and tell them I sent you. And Moses' first response is, they're not going to believe me. How on earth could I ever prove that? And Moses gets a few ways to prove that. So now you see something. It's not just Pharaoh who can disagree with the wisdom of the Lord and the ultimate authority of the Lord. Moses also. But here's the news. It's not just Moses. It's the person sitting next to the person you're sitting next to. So look at that person who's sitting next to you. Not them, but the one sitting next to them. Oh, you, you. It's us. We're like that too. We're just like that. And we will disagree with God. Even when we're amazed with God, even with when we are in love with God, we may disagree. And in fact, God makes it clear that Moses has the ability to resist God and to refuse to do what God says. And then the Lord says, that's enough. There have been times in my life where I felt I'm way too obstinate. I come from a a stubborn people. I come from a stiff-necked people. I come from a family that considered arguing sport. 
And we like to argue even when we agree. Anybody else from such a family? And as a young person, I liked to win an argument even when I was wrong. I didn't mind whether I was right or wrong. It wasn't important to me. What was important was to win the argument. <laughs> yeah, once, I mean, this is a funny situation, but once uh, an old friend of mine who was raised nominally as an Episcopalian was arguing that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. Yeah, I was raised as a Jew. I didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, but I thought I could win the argument. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so I said to Jean, well, it's not a question of whether you think he could be or whether you think he couldn't be. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. If he is, he is. It doesn't matter what you think. And if he's not, he's not. It doesn't matter what you think. So what you think doesn't even matter. And you know what? I won the argument. And he had nothing. He couldn't argue. It's like, ah, uh, uh. I said, it's not a matter of probability or opinion. It's just a fact. If he is, he is. Now, there's only one problem with that argument. Yeah, I, I'd never heard that argument before. And now I had to deal with it. And after that conversation, you know, I started thinking, is he or isn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah, it got me in trouble, I can tell you that. It was one of the ways the Lord was teaching me not to argue so much. But in the meantime, he was using it. The last way that God reveals himself is as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, which I think is important because God is revealing himself in a new way to this person who was raised outside of the community of Israel, raised inside an alien culture with other gods uh, at the center of their religious and spiritual life. And so the Lord is trying to reconnect Moses to his own people and their spiritual heritage. And the way that he does it is he identifies himself. So in Exodus 3.15, it's interesting. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Adonai, yod heh vav the uh, special name of God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. That's interesting. So it's not on the basis of the burning bush. That's the experience of God that God uses to prepare Moses, but that's not the proof that God wants to use. He uses other proof. But really, the ultimate proof is this. I am the God of your fathers. Even though they never experienced me this way, I am he. Now there's one detail. It says in, in this Torah reading 
that the angel of the Lord appeared in the fire and spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. So that then raises this question, who's the angel of the Lord? Because it sounds like the angel of the Lord is the Lord, and that's correct. And then we have this reference from last week's reading. You can turn back there to Genesis 48, verse 15. Jacob blessed Joseph, this is at that time of blessing, and he says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me. The Hebrew says, Hamalach HaGoel, the angel, the redeemer. So here we've got identification. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is identified as the angel, the, the messenger who, re, who is the redeemer. But Isaiah makes it clear, if there was ever any doubt, that the Lord is the Redeemer. So there's, there's confirmation in many different directions that the Redeemer is the Lord. There's not another Redeemer. And this is what Jacob is blessing Joseph with, with the knowledge that God is the Redeemer and that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. It's important to grasp that and it ties a lot of loose ends together. Do you remember when Abraham is visited by three men or three angels or two angels and the Lord? Take your pick. Um, Because it turns out one of them is the Lord. And the Lord eats with Abraham. But how can that be? Well, that's what happened. That's how it can be. The angel of the Lord wrestles with Jacob. Well, who was that? Well, angel, Jacob says, I saw God face to face. So his comments stands above all other commentators, right? And now the Lord is appearing to Moses and he's appearing in an unprecedented way as fire. But the Lord says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the same one. You tell them that. Now that's important later when Moses is standing on Sinai and the Hebrew scripture says that God himself descended from heaven and stood next to Moses. And while the Lord is standing next to Moses, the Lord at a distance passes by Moses. So the Lord who can keep company with a man without destroying him stands with him while the Lord who is so pure and holy that it would destroy us, um, Moses has to be shielded. And as the Lord is standing next to him and the Lord is passing by, the Lord calls to the Lord. It's a fascinating experience. It would make sense to Moses because he has already experienced the presence of God in time, space, reality. The angel who's redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. 
and may they be called by my name and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude upon the earth. Five ways that God revealed himself. As fire, as a personal presence, as the God who has a voice, as wisdom and ultimate authority, and as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who can appear in fire or as a man, as an angel, as a messenger, as a voice in any way that he chooses. And that helps us understand when God came down yet again and appeared as Yeshua that he was doing the kinds of things he'd always done. When people say, well, where can I find Yeshua in the Torah? Look in the fire. Look in the other places too. And wherever God is appearing in, in time and space with materiality and physicality and presence and personality, you can be sure of this that you're experiencing the God of Israel who can come down as a man and as a son and be the full reflection and the full embodiment of God. So as we're reading in Exodus this year, take heart. Keep a fresh, open mind and eyes as well. And then ask yourself this question, in what ways has God revealed himself to me? Because you need to know the answers to that so that you can tell the others around you. So that you can tell your children. And you can tell your grandchildren. And you can tell others too. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be able to share our experience of you with our families, with our friends. We want to be able to tell others about your goodness and your mercy. We want to be able to receive instructions and assignments from you and to take to heart that what you tell us to do, we're enabled to do. And so we ask, Lord, that as we're reading in Torah during this season, that you would use it to equip us and to strengthen us for the work of ministry and for the life of faith that we could have closer and closer fellowship with you and with one another. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. I want to ask you to rise. And if you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving just enough so you're not by yourself. Hello, Rabbi. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ye'era Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panave lecha the Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.